This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. This is a message both for Jewish and Gentile believers. So if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a, you're a, you're a Jesus follower, you're, you're a Christian, whatever your background is, whatever your nationality, whatever your race, you and I need to realize that as Paul writes this, he tears down every barrier, every wall, every prejudice that says, this word is for you. The first part of the message, though, definitely does deal with Jewish believers. In this vast, grand universe, we are small, insignificant beings. Yet God has chosen us. He has predestined you to reside in eternity with Him if you choose to follow and accept Jesus as your Savior. Trust in Him and the Lord will keep all His promises to you. He has sealed your inheritance. Since He has given you a new life and paid your debts at such a steep price, what can you give back? Not works or rituals. Only that you live a life of obedience, acknowledging that you are His possession. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 3, for part one of our message entitled, The Faith Zone. Well, as I said uh, before, last night I went to pick uh, Todd up at the airport, and uh, you've got to know this about me, I, I enjoy flying. Any chance, any opportunity I get, I, I, I fly. I, I had a job that gave me free flight. Uh, it would be tough to be a pastor also, so uh, I'd be gone all the time. But I also like going to the airport, because the airport to me is kind of an interesting place. I don't necessarily like driving into the airport. That's chaotic. But uh, inside the airport, uh, particularly like terminal number four, the international uh, terminal, all those things, going on, the, the, the vast amount of different kinds of people going through, and it's always kind of interesting to look and to see the, the, the kind of people, the type, the, the amount, the, the different dramas that go on just right there in the airport. It's pretty interesting. As I, as I looked around last night as I was sitting there waiting for, one of the things that kind of came to me, even uh, as I was thinking about the message that I had already preached, is that there's a multitude of people that are in the airport that have never flown. They, they come to the terminal to either pick people up or to uh, drop them off as someone else goes and finds And they come to the airport, but they themselves never fly. Now, that might be for a couple of different reasons. Some, it might be because um, they have a fear of flying. They, they, they don't like flying, and thanks, you can do that, but I'm going to stay God wanted us to fly, you know, he had given us wings, that whole thing. They, they, they have no desire at all to fly. Others, they don't fly because, well, basically they can't afford it. It can be an expensive venture to fly, and so they've never had that opportunity. No matter what the, the reason behind it, is the fact is that they, this group of people may never experience really what I, what I believe is the thrill of, of flying. Just uh, not only the takeoff and the landing, but just being able to look at the world from 38,000 feet, you know, and see all that. I believe also that in our Christian walk, though, to kind of bring it home to what we're going to be talking about today, I believe that God has designed us and purposes for us to fly. Not to stay in the terminal, but to fly. And, of course... Uh, 
if you take flying, my whole illustration at this point just takes, takes a dive. But uh, <laughs> the, the idea of the thought is, is that, uh, again, some believers will never fly, either because of fear, fear of the unknown, that, that man, if I step out in this thing called faith, I really don't know for sure if faith is going to hold me. Just looking at an airplane, how can that, you know, metal cylinder with a couple of wings with a rocket strapped to its back, you know, keep people up in the air for very long? There are some believers that wonder, can I really trust God in the areas of faith in my life and, and step out in those areas? And some will never fly because they don't believe that they can afford it. And I look at it this way, they don't believe that they're worthy of flying. They don't believe that they're worthy of God using them in a powerful way. And so they just rest and stay at the terminal. And they're, well, I don't know if satisfied is the word to use, but uh, they, they've gotten kind of used to just seeing people taking off and coming back and taking off and coming back while they sit in the terminal. We're in the book of Ephesians. I invite you to turn, if you would, to chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. And as we've done in the study of Ephesians, and again, uh, trying to keep everything within the context of what Paul is writing to them, he writes this book as an entire letter, not in a series of uh, Bible studies. He writes it as a letter to the churches there, and so we want to try and keep it in context as best we can. So, no, we're only going to be dealing with some particular verses, verses uh, 11 through 14. I want to read verses 3 through 14 again to bring us into the context and to bring us into the feel of all that Paul is giving to the churches here. So, beginning in verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. This is a message both for Jewish and Gentile believers. So if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a, you're a, you're a Jesus follower, you're, you're a Christian, whatever your background is, whatever your nationality, whatever your race, you and I need to realize that as Paul writes this, he tears down every barrier, every wall, 
and we prejudice and says, this word is for you. The first part of the message, though, definitely does deal with Jewish believers. But then, in verse 11, there is a change. There's a dynamic that comes about. And beginning in verse 11 is where we're going to be. He says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. The Jew himself, he had a lot going for him in the whole spiritual realm. As Paul speaks, himself being a Jewish believer, speaking to the Jews, he says, in him we obtained this inheritance. Speaking of the Jewish, uh, uh, again, the blessings of God to the Jews. In Romans chapter 9, Paul kind of brings about uh, the advantage of the Jew over the Gentile population. In Romans 9, Paul says that the Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, service of God, the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. And yet, as he tells us further on in the book of Romans, just having the right bloodline, or even having a, a strong spiritual heritage before you, it just isn't enough. You and I, and even every Jew at this point in time as he's speaking, they have to lay hold of not just the, in, or the, the, the heritage that they have, but they have to lay hold of that inheritance that is now theirs in Christ. And the inheritance doesn't simply come by right of natural birth. Just because your parents are believers or your grandparents, you know what? Each of us will stand before God on our own. Just because, again, you as a parent are a believer, that doesn't necessitate that your children are going to grab hold of the same faith. We pray that they do. We encourage that they do. We, again, lead them in, in the opening up the word to them. But again, each individual must stand before God on their own. Having a glorious heritage without obtaining the inheritance really is useless. Well, here in Ephesians, Paul is speaking at this portion still to the Jews who, who've come to that point of receiving that inheritance, the completion of their calling. They've come to faith in Christ as their Messiah. They had the heritage, and they're now walking in that inheritance. An inheritance which is not only for right now, but it's also yet to come. Paul continues on about the Jewish believers there in verse 11, when he says, "...being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will." In Deuteronomy, God had spoken to the people of Israel with, with this great word of promise. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, he says, "...for you are a holy people. You're holy to the Lord your God." The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. Now, we've spoken a lot about predestination already over the last couple of weeks. One of the things that I tried to drive home last week, that predestination is not to the exclusion of others, but that God chose particular ones, again, to show his glory through, just like the nation Israel. They were chosen, they were predestined, but they were to be the light to the rest of the world. This was God's purpose, this was God's plan, that in the smallness and insignificance of Israel, he would reveal his greatness. He would reveal himself to Israel as the chosen people, all the way to the completeness of bringing about the Messiah 
through Israel to be a blessing to the whole world. God desires to show them the fullness and the purpose of that plan by the counsel of His will, which He speaks here. Paul declares on in verse 12, again, this purpose of this revelation to the Jews. He says in verse 12, that we who are first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. And again, as the people of Israel came to the faith in Messiah, their faith, their lives, were to be to the praise and to the glory of God. So that again, the nations around them would see the reality of who God is. Not because they deserved it, but because it was the counsel of God's will. It was God's plan. The completion of God's plan. This full circle that comes all the way from sin in the garden to now the offering of redemption. From rebellion, even with the people of Israel, to the final obedience of coming to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Suddenly, for the believing Jew, all of that ceremony, all of that ritual that had gone through generation and generation, suddenly starts to make sense. Suddenly they can see the sacrificial system and see how it now points to the reality of the Messiah, the suffering servant that came for them. They began to see, as Paul says a little bit later here in Ephesians, dealing with the, the Gentile believers, they began to, again, have their eyes open to understanding, to be able to really see what God was working. But that's what brings us to verse 13. Again, verse 3 through 12 Paul had the Jew in mind. Now Paul brings the Gentile believer into the picture. And he moves from speaking of the we as Jewish believers to now you also as the Gentile believers. Verse 13 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. These Gentile believers, were, they were pagan by, by origin. That's all that they knew. They did not know the God of Israel. They did not know Jehovah God. They were involved in all the pagan ceremony that was around them. They didn't have the covenants. They didn't have the giving of the law. They didn't have service to God. They didn't have the promises. But now God is revealing Himself through the message of the Gospel. And this hope in the Gospel is delivered to the Gentiles. Paul wrote to the church of Colossae in Colossians chapter 1, again, speaking to Gentile believers, he says, And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. The hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. That's why Paul tells the Ephesian church, you heard the gospel message, and then in him you trusted. And now, as he says in verse 13, now having believed, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of your inheritance. The Holy Spirit of promise. This is the word that, that comes actually from the very mouth of Jesus. When Jesus, after his death, burial, uh, and resurrection, was ready to ascend to the Father, he told the disciples to wait, wait in Jerusalem, to tarry, until you receive that promise of the Father. And that was the coming of the Holy Spirit. He recaps it in, in Acts chapter 1. Again, kind of the same story, but again, speaking the same thing. In Acts chapter 1, Luke writes in verse 4 that being assembled together with him, Jesus 
commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, this isn't a teaching on the Holy Spirit or necessarily even on Pentecost, but one of the things I want you to understand that when the day of Pentecost came, and the Holy Spirit came upon those 120 or so believers in the upper room as they prayed and sought the Lord for what Jesus had promised them would come upon them. And the Holy Spirit came down, and we can read all about that in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. We can see and understand that there was a mighty move of God in the lives of these believers. But as believers, there was also one other thing that all of these people had in common. Do you know what it was? They were all Jews. They were all Jewish believers. Now, if there was a Gentile, he would have had to convert to be a Jew before he was probably even in that group. So they were Jewish believers that the Lord, again, brought the Holy Spirit to and worked and moved in their lives. We look at that story, you think, well, so what's the point about that with what we're dealing with here in Ephesians? A little bit later in the book of Acts, as the gospel continued to spread, guess what? Gentiles started hearing the gospel message. And they started believing in this Christ. But they weren't Jews. And yet at the same time, we read in the book of Acts how the Holy Spirit came upon them also. Now the Jews had this really big problem. Because you see, they weren't like us, and yet God was moving in their lives the same way He's moving in ours. And for the Jew, again, you've got to understand that it's a huge, huge problem. Because they were the elect people, they were the chosen people, and God only moves in our lives. You want God to move in your life? Then you've got to become like me. You've got to become a Jew, and then God can move in your life. And that was a huge, huge battle in the early church. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 15 speaks about that battle, where the Jewish believers weren't willing to accept the Gentile believers unless they became like them, unless they, again, submitted themselves not only to circumcision, but also to the other ceremonies of being a Jew. And the great discussion that came about in the leadership of that church at that time, Acts 15 tells us that finally they came to the point, I believe it was James that said, you know what, why are we burdening them with rules and regulations that we ourselves can't even keep? It's evident that God is moving and working in their lives. Let's just bless them and let the Lord continue to work and move. So they did. They blessed them, and so continued this work of God moving in the Gentiles as well as the Jews. So now we come back here to Ephesians, and we read there in verse 13, of the last part, where he says, And having believed you, as a Gentile, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and he is the guarantee of our inheritance. He reaffirms his whole issue again in, in 2 Corinthians, where he tells us that God has sealed us and he's given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You see, now both Jew and Gentile have the Holy Spirit within their life as a seal, as a guarantee of the inheritance that is theirs in Christ. That there is a great, again, a great abounding hope now because of what God is doing. This whole concept of sealing 
It comes from the idea of setting a seal to not only to prevent opening, but it's also used to denote that it's genuine, that it's authentic, that it's confirmed, that it's approved. We saw and see this in documents that were done at those times. You know how a, a king or a uh, some kind of important person would have a signet ring and they would seal the document with uh, wax on it again to show that it was official. That's the idea. That's the thought. Uh, again, it, it, it made it sure. It made it confirmed. It made it established for them. And the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers, not only is there this seal of authenticity of what God is doing because of the Holy Spirit, but He's also the guarantee in our lives as believers. And this guarantee is the down payment. It's the earnest money. You can understand too, it's, it's the engagement ring, okay, that God has given to us as, as, as Christ is our groom and we as the bride of Christ. And that's for every believer. It's regardless of background. God seals us with His seal, and then He guarantees that with, again, still the Holy Spirit, there's that guarantee of the inheritance that awaits us, that's placed within us, this, this dowry, again, of His commitment, His pledge of that relationship. It's all established as a guarantee for us. But right now, you know what? You and I, we wait in hope. We wait in, in, in faith. We, we need to live by faith in our present situation because, you know what, for you and I right now, we say, yes, we have the seal of the Holy Spirit and we believe that and we experience the reality of God in our lives. We can read the Word, we can trust in that. But let's face it, the reality of our faith, the reality of our experience in God is based in hope. It's based in faith. It's not completed yet. We still have to live our lives in a fullness of hope and growing in hope and growing in faith. We need to have the heart of, of the psalmist, even as Brian read in Psalm 27 and verse 13, he says, I would have lost hope unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Well, Paul tells us here in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit, our seal, our earnest money, He is given until the redemption of the purchased possession. Church, that day is coming. That, that day of redemption is coming. We have the hope, we have the promise, we have the seal of the Holy Spirit, but it's not complete right now. The completion of that work of redemption is coming. I believe that it's coming soon, but it's not yet. And please, I understand, I know, that when Christ hung on the cross, and then He declared those words, it is finished, that redemption was done, it was complete, it was purchased for us. And there's no work that we do to, to solidify it. No, it is a complete thing. But you see, in our realm, although we're sealed, it's still a work in progress. Some have put it this way, that we are saved when we come by faith to Christ, that we are saved at that moment. We are sealed with that seal of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit comes in as that guarantee for us. So whether that was ten years ago or, or, or ten days ago, that sealing takes place when we come by faith to receive Christ. But the fact is, as the Word also says, that we are being saved on a continual basis. It is a process also that works within us. 
And beloved, the Word also tells us that one day we will be saved. So we are saved, but we are in the process of it, and the completion of it comes when man, we can throw off this mortal and put on immortality. We can throw off this corruptible and put on incorruption. We can throw off this tent and this carcass that we haul around and move again into eternity. We're still waiting for the fulfillment of that. It seems that more and more people are getting caught up in a works-based expression of their faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is the book Pastor David is currently teaching through, Ephesians. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com. And follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter, The Open Word Radio, or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.